Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I get going here, uh, I hope you'll pardon me if I do a little church business and uh, let you know uh, that this coming September 11th, uh, St. Andrew will be making a big step forward into Howard County, Maryland. Uh, as part of our effort to establish a, a site for our mission and ministry as God gives us the grace and the blessing to do that. We've been talking about this for a long time and finally we're ready to take that step which will come in the form of a weekly uh, Bible study and a season of community building that will take place uh, at a location called Linden Hall which is a community center uh, located just off Route 108, uh, west of 29 in Ellicott City. In the coming weeks, uh, you're going to be receiving more detailed information about all of this, uh, but I wanted to just get you thinking about it a little bit in case uh, you might be interested in participating or know somebody up in that area who might be interested in participating, might, might be a crossroads in their uh, spiritual life, or maybe you are not led to uh, be there yourself, but you might want to help pay the rent at uh, Linden Hall or uh, support it in, in some other way, or you can do something uh, that's just as important as either of those other things, and that is uh, to start praying uh, that God would bless us as we take uh, the word and the spirit of Jesus to another part of our mission field. I can't tell you how thankful I am to be uh, serving a congregation uh, that could very easily be content right here on this beautiful corner, and yet we'll be going out on a day uh, that is remembered for its heartache and pain uh, to take the message of life and uh, hope in Christ to the world. So more details are on the way, but uh, thanks for just letting me uh, bend your ear a little bit about, the, about that this morning. And with that... Uh, we come uh, with a little bit of spiritual whiplash uh, to a passage of scripture uh, that I wouldn't actually put in the category of an upper. And uh, that quite frankly, I don't plan to be using as uh, the basis for our first Bible study in Howard County, uh, because that of course is this grisly story of brutality and deception and intrigue and scandal and sin and death, all of which culminate in the beheading of John the Baptist in Mark uh, chapter 6, uh, all of which has to do with the fact that it belongs to what is known as the Revised Common Lectionary, which is to say that this passage is being read today in the churches of 36 different Christian denominations all around this world. And even though, uh, unlike images of Noah's Ark and puffy clouds and little lambs, you're not going to find this one on the walls of our Sunday school. Uh, and uh, you probably won't uh, see it rushing out of places like art.com either. Uh, you may, in fact, be wondering why in this world would any church even make a passage like this part of its morning worship if what we really want to do is reach people and attract them to Jesus in 2018. Uh, the story, as you know, involves King Herod, otherwise known as Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the son of King Herod the Great, who ruled many years earlier at the time when Jesus was born. However, most people, including Mark in today's lesson, refer to Herod Antipas 
as a king, even though he was technically a tetrarch, uh, which means that he was a ruler over a portion of an occupied Roman territory or province. And so you got two Herods, father and a son, one of which really is not technically a king, but he is called a king and he is treated like a king by everybody except a bug-eaten, outdoor-living prophet who is known for preaching the truth to power, and that, of course, is none other than John the Baptist, the advanced man or forerunner of Jesus. Story goes that Herod Antipas, who was married, travels to Rome, and he falls into attraction with his own brother's wife, runs away with her, and marries her. When word gets out, John the Baptist, along with many other people, conclude that Herod is an immediate violation of the law of God in Leviticus 18 and 20, which basically says, don't do that. But unlike many other people, John the Baptist concludes that even the king is not above the law of God. And so he calls out Herod and his new bride and publicly condemns their illicit marriage. Well, Herod doesn't really like that, and so he has John arrested and, and put into prison. But on the other hand, Mark curiously tells us in the passage that Herod is, he's intrigued with John. He regards John to be a righteous man, a holy man, and he likes to listen to John preaching which is to say that, you know, maybe John was actually kind of getting through uh, to Herod, at least to one degree or another. Herod's new wife, on the other hand, is furious, and she wants to kill John uh, the Baptist, but she can't kill him because John already has him arrested and in prison, uh, which has caused other people to conclude that uh, maybe John has been arrested by Herod because Herod actually wants to protect John from his very own bridezilla. Is this crazy or what? In fact, uh, in Matthew and Luke's version of this story, we are told that uh, Herod even lets the disciples of John visit him in prison, which is unusual, and adds to that, you know, arrest him in order to protect him kind of theory. Well, anyway, either way it works. That is, until Herod Antipas throws himself this lavish, self-aggrandizing birthday party to which he invites three groups of people, including high-ranking officials of his, his administration, high-ranking military leaders in his army, and prominent members of the Galilean community. So this is a high-profile event in order to even further bolster his reputation and at which the entertainment for the party is provided by the daughter of Herod's new wife, who is also known as Salome, who dances for Herod and for all these half-drunken generals and other celebrities who were at the party. Now, we don't know the exact nature of this dance. But I don't think it was the chicken dance, okay? <laughs> because Herod is so captivated that in response, he offers Salome whatever she wants in return for the dance. That's when the trap is set.
That's when the revenge is exacted. And uh, in conspiring with her mother, the daughter then goes back to Herod Antipas and says, what I want in return for the dance is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Yikes. John doesn't, or Herod does not want to do this. Uh, in part because one of the things the Romans really liked about Herod was that he kept the Jews from revolting and beheading their favorite prophet was not going to help that cause. And in part because, as I said before, Herod is intrigued with John. Herod likes to listen to John preach, and he may in fact been a little bit intimidated by John's spiritual horsepower, which I'll get back to in a minute. Nevertheless, he keeps his part of the bargain, and he orders the execution because he lost his head over a dance, made a promise to all these high-ranking people, and will not swallow his pride. So that by the final course of the birthday celebration, the head of John the Baptist is on a platter. And all this takes place at uh, the palace of King Herod, or Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, which was located east of the Jordan River, overlooking the Sea of Galilee uh, in the region where John the Baptist was known to preach. But now comes the question, what on earth does this grisly story that reads like a soap opera and that does not even include the presence of Jesus have to do with you, your faith, your life? The answer is, I have no idea. Because I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you do. Maybe this passage is here to remind you that there still is such a thing as sin in this world. And that the truth does hurt when I really don't want to hear it, but I need to hear it for the sake of a healthy, God-honoring relationships, when I have violated those relationships uh, with my own sinful behavior, which I've done thousands of times. Maybe it's there to remind you that the truth hurts when you're the one who has to tell the truth to somebody in your life who's just so self-absorbed that they abandon God's truth for the sake of, you know, their power, their influence, their pleasure, or some other form of recognition. Maybe the passage is, is there today to remind you of the power that comes when you stand up for the truth, no matter what, because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that will ever last. And thankfully, we've got all kinds of stories of women and men down through the corridors of time who had the courage to stand up and speak God's truth to power when power was corrupt, as 
John did with Herod, as Jesus did with Pontius Pilate, as so many others have done over the course of time, and countless more in smaller, quieter, little ways with family members and friends and others who are going down some sort of an ungodly path for the sake of a course correction and a new trajectory in their life. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, once wrote that uh, followers of Jesus risk being treated like Jesus. There's a passage in the book of Acts in uh, chapter 5 where we're told that the disciples leave the Sanhedrin and they are thankful that they have been counted worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. 21st century American Christians don't tend to think that way, but they did. In fact, one of the criticisms that I've heard of the church today uh, is that we try to sell Jesus and the church like it's some kind of a new car, explaining its, its advantages and its features and all the comfort that comes with the sweet ride of faith. That's not how they thought. Because it turns out that what people are really looking for in this world, believe it or not, is something that's powerful enough in their life that it's worth dying for. How about that? I have a book in my library entitled Jesus Freaks. And it includes the story of a man by the name of Ivan Moiseyev, who was a 20-year-old man who was a private in the army of the former Soviet Union. But he was also a follower of Jesus. When efforts to deprogram Ivan Moiseyev of his religion to turn him into an atheist failed, and he refused to deny Christ. He was tortured repeatedly. When the torture failed, he was killed. But his last letter made it to his mother and father. And in that last letter, he wrote, my dear parents, I have been shown the way of Jesus and I've decided to follow it. Do not grieve for me because I love Jesus. And though my body is afraid, what I value more than my life is my life in Christ and it is him who I will follow. You have any idea what kind of power those words represent? For that man, for those two parents. And so if there's one thing uh, that I would want this passage to remind you of as we come here today, it's the fact that if you or anybody else in this whole wide world thinks that you can put the presence and the purposes of God to death, by your sinful behavior, you better get ready for a resurrection. In fact, you may have even noticed that uh, in the first few verses of the passage today, uh, Herod actually hears about the ministry, not of John the Baptist, he hears about the ministry of Jesus. And he concludes that Jesus is John the Baptist, raised from the dead. 
And with that, uh, the story that continues and that I've already covered here is basically a flashback. It's Herod's flashback explaining why he thinks this, why he uh, believes this, which in his case has to do with the fact that he's a man who is filled with a guilty conscience. But in your case and in mine, it's different. In this case, it has to do with the fact that uh, the only thing that's really good about this story is that it's not the end of the story. And that when the truth about sin and, and brokenness and, and destruction and death hurts us, there's a greater truth. It's just around the corner, and it is the truth of Jesus who does come and it is risen to bring mercy and love and new life to you and me so that when I, like Herod, am tempted to put distance between me and people who try to tell me what I need to hear but don't want to hear, instead, I can open up my heart and my mind and, and start listening for the message of a God who is willing to guide and correct me because he loves me. Or when I am the one who has to tell that inconvenient truth to somebody in my life, I could begin to pray that the Spirit of Jesus would inhabit my words so that they could even be received as a gift and not just a form of judgment. See, what makes Herod such a tragic figure in all of this is that he participated not just in the execution of John the Baptist, he participated in the execution of Jesus himself. He participated in the execution of the one who, when he encountered so many others, set them free from their bondage. In fact, in a little non-biblical uh, postscript to this whole story, it turns out that uh, Herod's first wife, who he abandoned, uh, went back home uh, to her father. And the father just happens to be the king of another country who then invades Herod's army, defeats his army, sends Herod into exile, where he later dies, because the guy lost his head over a dance, over his pride, and over his power. John the Baptist also lost his head, but he got the kingdom of God. Or as the philosopher Kierkegaard put it, when the tyrant dies, his rule will end. When the martyr dies, his rule begins. And that's what brings us here today to a very different kind of party, to celebrate a very different sort of birth. Filled with grace, filled with mercy and forgiveness for you and me at this celebration and the antidote that it is to whatever version of Herod's birthday party might be unraveling in the world around you or even in the story of your life. That is the good news that we have to share and with which God sends us out into this world today. That is the truth for Howard County, for Silver Spring, and for the whole wide world, including you. Whoever you are, wherever you've come from, wherever you've been, 
whatever your past and wherever you go, for which we say, thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.